Please be seated in God's house as you be taking your Bibles. If you would be opening them to the book of Mark chapter 16 and Galatians chapter 2. The gospel according to Mark and the epistle, the letter that God used Paul to write to the church at Galatia. Mark chapter 16 and Galatians chapter 2. I want to welcome you all here. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I had just the thought that crossed my mind over this past weekend. Uh, you know, I'm so thankful for many things. It made me ponder how in the world an atheist celebrates Thanksgiving. I guess they think the cosmos are, it's kind of a sad reality when you think of it. I chuckled and then I got sad thinking about it. And, uh, but I'm thankful to the Lord for all that he has done. And he is indeed a good, good shepherd to me. I'm very excited to display the Word of God to you today. I believe that this is something that God has been, I know this is something that God has been stirring in my heart for a number of weeks now, and I'm very happy to be here with you all on a Sunday morning on the Lord's Day with His Word open before us. On the eastern side of this country, which you would be considered on the eastern side of it, People that raise cattle do so inside of feedlots and inside of pastures that are fenced. There's always fences and corrals in which these animals are contained. If you travel out west, however, the work of raising cattle is very different. Uh, They sometimes have feedlots and corrals, but they don't have fenced-in pastures quite like we do here on the eastern side of the United States. Uh, They rather have ranges, sometimes encompassing thousands of acres of ranges. That's why it's more commonly practiced on the western side of the United States to brand cattle because sometimes cattle from numerous cattle owners will graze the same thousands of acres all together. And it's not uncommon out west to see groups of cowboys going out to round up cattle to look for these particular cattle that are marked with a particular brand and then to bring them in on what we would think of as a cattle drive. Now, it is common in these groups of cowboys that most of them are new hires, and by new hires, these are less experienced cowboys. They've got some rope time in. They've been in the saddle a little while, but they don't quite know the plains. They don't quite know the mountain passes. They're not as experienced as typically the one in every group. Usually in every group of cowboys, there is at least one that is an extremely experienced cowboy. He knows the way to go through the mountain ranges and all of these things. And as is common, they will go from flat place to flat place, these different plains where they'll be collecting these cattle, and they have to cross these mountain ranges. And there's not always a well-beaten path on these mountain ranges. Sometimes it's required that they break their way through and cut a path up these mountainsides so that they can go on to the next plain. And the way that this typically works is the most experienced among them. All of these cowboys have boots on. They've all got chaps. They've all got a cowboy hat, and they all have a rope hanging from the horn of their saddle. But the one cowboy that's more experienced than the others, it will be his responsibility when they come to a particularly difficult mountain pass, he will be the one responsible if he cares for the cowboys that he is in charge of managing. Uh, He will himself, with his horse, he will go up first to ensure that the pathway ahead of passing this very steep, very treacherous mountain range is cleared. 
He will take a saw, a a small saw in his saddlebag, and he will cut the limbs away. He'll roll any stones that have fallen down the mountainside out of the way. He'll do whatever work necessary to make sure that he can go before the cowboys that are behind him to make sure that it is a smooth and safe path upon which they can traverse as they go on their way. I believe God has prompted me to preach to you about this idea of Not a cowboy going before us, but Emmanuel going before us. Of our God going before us. And there are numerous ways in which we could preach this. There are numerous ways you could open up the Word of God. And for example, you could preach from Exodus 33.15, which if you know your Bible, it's the time when Moses is coming down off of Mount Sinai and the children of Israel has just gotten done building this golden calf. Even after seeing all the plagues in Egypt and all the parting of the Red Sea, they built this golden calf to worship. And I think Moses is coming to the understanding that leading these people is going to be a more difficult task than he originally thought. And uh, And he's quoted saying there in verse 15 of Exodus 33, says, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. He says, Lord, if your spirit doesn't go before us, I don't want to go. It's not worth going unless you go before us. And we could certainly make many helpful life applications from a sermon like that, that you ought to pray the same kinds of prayers in deciding what kind of job to take. God, if you don't go before me in this job, and if this is not your will, then I don't want this job. God, if this is not your will for me to marry this person in this relationship, if it's if you're not going before me in this relationship, then I don't want this relationship to continue. There's many wise applications that we could make from that text There's many others as well. You could preach this from the standpoint of God going before us and preparing our eternal home for us. You think of John 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also and we can make some good application out of that text we could say we ought not to worry very much all that much we ought to be wise stewards of but we ought not to be totally consumed by the 401k and the house payment we not ought to think that this is our forever home because it's not the one home that matters the inheritance that matters jesus has gone but he has said for his followers he's gone before us he's preparing those things himself we can make some wonderful life applications out of that out of the word of god You could even preach it from the standpoint of God going before us in the ages to come. In Revelation 19, 11 through 14, John, who we would call John the Revelator, whom God used to pen this, he says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. We could make all sorts of understandings, true interpretations from the Word of God, that God goes before us even in the ages to come. We will be following him, and it's a good thing to be following him in that way. The standpoint, however, that I would like to preach and I feel God leading me to preach this understanding this scriptural understanding of God going before us is in reference to death 
65 million people die in the world each year. And I'm no mathematician, but I think that comes about close to being 178,000 each day. 720 each hour and 123 people every 60 seconds that are dying. Some of the leading causes that cause this kind of death would be heart disease, cancer, strokes, Alzheimer's. And for those young people listening to me today, you might think, well, those are just old person diseases. But depending on what you look at, most reports that you see reporting the leading causes of death also include accidents in there, which us young people are more prone to, the most prone to. So dear sir or madam, you do not know when your life will be required of you. What I do know, though, is that if you knew it was going to rain, you'd bring an umbrella. What I do know is that if you, needed, if you knew you were going to need to travel, you would arrange for yourself to have a car. If you knew it was going to be cold, you'd bring the coat. If you knew that your house was going to be broke into, you would make sure the doors were locked and find a way to protect yourself. And we ought to do the same for this element of death, which we will face. It's appointed a man once to die, and then the judgment is what the Word of God says. So let's go to Mark chapter 16, if you're there, looking to verse 1. As we see what God's Word says about Emmanuel, about this name for God, which we know to mean God with us, going before us, in reference to death, what can we know from the Word of God about it? Verse 1 of Mark chapter 16, we come to a point in the text, after the crucifixion and after the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we read in verse 1, it says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So what can we say first about this text? Who is this about? What's it involving? And, And what is the time frame of all this? We read of this group of ladies that is going to the tomb. And this group of ladies is not just any random collection of females that are going to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This particular group of ladies is very special in the way that only two groups in the entirety of Scripture are referenced as ministering to Jesus. One of which would be angels. We know that angels came and ministered to Jesus. If you remember Matthew chapter 4, after the temptation that the devil tempted Jesus with, and Jesus obviously prevailed perfectly, angels came and ministered to Jesus. It references in the Gospels that, that these ladies, this group of ladies, also ministered to Jesus. And we know that this is early on Sunday morning. We know that the Jewish Sabbath was originally practiced on Saturday. Christ was crucified Friday. They were observing the Sabbath, the last legitimate Sabbath prior to the resurrection of Christ on that day. And then the following morning, on that Sunday morning, early in the morning, these ladies that had been ministering to Jesus, no doubt they loved him. And they're bringing spices. And let me just tell you, they, they were going to anoint these fragrant spices to put them on the body of Christ. You don't do that to somebody's body when they're alive. Why? Because people's alive bodies don't rot and stink. Their Savior, whom they love, whom they had ministered to while he was alive on this earth, they were walking to go anoint this dead body because they knew what happened to dead flesh when it began to rot. They were accustomed to this smell of death. This is what they were going to go do. Now if you would look to verse 3. 
And they said among themselves, Who will roll the stone away from the door? Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So the Lord Jesus Christ is crucified. He's been put inside the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. These ladies who undoubtedly loved him, they probably at this point had been following Jesus for a couple of years. They know him. They ministered to him. They made sure that he had the food that he needed on his travels. They cared for him. They loved him. They're probably confused. They're undoubtedly heartbroken. They go early in the morning. As soon as observance of Sabbath was over, they go early in the morning. They buy these spices and they go to the tomb to make sure that the body of their dead friend and Savior wasn't going to reek. This was something done for people when you cared much about them. And as they get there, they're wondering how this large stone is going to be rolled away. They go to find it rolled away, and more importantly, they see this announcement of this angel saying, The Lord Jesus Christ whom you seek is not here. He is alive. He is risen. Go to tell his brethren that he's going before you into Galilee. And just as he said he would do. That he maybe is going before you into Galilee, there you'll see him as he said to you. So I hope you're asking yourself the question, what in the world was it that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to do? And it tells us very clearly, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. This is, of course, during Jesus' earthly ministry. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for the leaders and chief, of the chief, leaders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. This is one of three other times in which Christ was explaining to his disciples what it was that he was going to do. And undoubtedly, with these ladies... Bringing spices that you put on a dead body, they either didn't believe that to be true or they were confused to the point that they didn't understand what it was that he was saying. All we know is that he very clearly told them what it was that was going to happen and they are either unbelieving of it or they are confused about the timeline in which it was happened. All we know is that they're going to anoint a dead body to prohibit the rotting flesh from the stench that they were trying to prohibit by bringing these spices to put on the body of Christ. It's almost as if, in a similar way, yet in an, an incredibly more important way, that Christ said, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to go up the trail and I'm going to go get some things done. I'm going to go suffer some things for you. I'm going to go ahead of you on the trail to make sure that this trail is easy for you, to make sure that the trail is not dangerous for you. I'm going to go up and make sure that everything is going to be okay on this trail, that you might follow behind me with some confidence. And it's almost as if the ladies didn't believe it, or they were so confused that they didn't understand that what it was he was going to do, to go and be led like a lamb to the slaughter. 
And we know that they didn't even believe the testimony of the angel himself. Look, if you would, to verse 8. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone. I don't know about you, but I think perhaps this is the most astounding element of all of Scripture, that the ladies didn't say anything. But I'll let you read your Bibles. Undoubtedly a proof that the resurrection was a miracle of God. The ladies said nothing. I love all you ladies in the house. You know, you know my heart. When the experienced cowboy goes and he will go before the ones behind him and he'll be clearing out the trail, moving the briars and the boulders and the sticks to make it passable by those who come behind him. Once he has achieved it, once it's done, once he's got his horse behind him and he's at the top and he can look down and see that it's a smooth pathway for the less experienced, for, they all look like him. They've all got boots, they've all got chaps, they've all got a cowboy hat and a rope hanging from the horn of the saddle, but he, he has within himself the ability to do something that those other cowboys don't in this very steep, very dangerous type of terrain and when he is completed with it he will then call back to the other cowboys down at the bottom of the hill and say come on up the way has been made safe just follow in my footsteps and you'll be here in just a moment follow my way up and we know again in a similar yet in an incredibly more important way more vital way christ if you look at Matthew 28, verses 8 to 10, it says, So they went out quickly from the tomb. These ladies went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. So this fear, referenced in the book of Mark, apparently melts away into this great joy. And they ran to bring his disciples' word. Verse 9, And as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet. And they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren that I go to Galilee. And there they will see me. So what is it that I'm preaching to you today? What I'm preaching to you today is that this Emmanuel, this name of Christ referenced, and if you notice we spelled it with an I, that's how it's referenced in the book of Isaiah. Emmanuel, this name for Christ, which means God with us. Yes, Christ had a body like all of us. Yes, he had two hands and two feet, and he walked on this earth like you and I are doing. Yes, he had two eyes and one mouth. Yes, he had a body like us, but he was not like us in the way that he had within himself the ability to do something about this death that you and I could not, absolutely could not do because he was not just a man, he was also God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And what I'm telling you this morning is that he went down that trail on our behalf to make sure that it was safe for us to follow him in it. And I'm preaching myself happy this morning, so somebody say amen. This is awesome what it is that he has done in going before us to make sure that this thing called death is no longer dangerous to you and I. If you know Christ, if you followed him on that path that he has made, death is no longer dangerous to you. Flip over, if you would, to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Turn there in your Bibles. It was John MacArthur who once said that Jesus' resurrection is the key to your own resurrection. 
And I like the way John MacArthur put it, but I like better the way that Paul put it as he was used of God to write to the church in Galatia there in verse 20. In Galatians 2 verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was convinced that Christ had given himself for Paul, for those who would follow after him. The work of this lead cowboy to go up on this rocky cliff to make sure that the way was safe for those behind him, it was dangerous work. And it was dangerous work in the way that it wasn't a matter of if he would have injuries in his body, scratches on his arms, clothes torn, that it would be an arduous journey to make sure that this pathway was prepared for those behind him. It wasn't a matter of if he would get some injuries. It was a matter of when, and certainly he would, as those that would ride up behind him, they would see the wear and tear of the trail that would be in the clothing, on the, on the equipment of this cowboy, and on his own body. It was a dangerous work. And can I just tell you that our Emmanuel, God with us, Christ himself, he knew that going before us was going to be a dangerous work. He knew it. And I believe that he knew it from the foundation of the earth and he knew that it was going to be a dangerous task. But we are made certain that he knew this in 700 BC, before 700 years before he was even walking this earth, he knew that it was going to be a dangerous task. And here's why we know that. When God spoke the year 700, around that time frame, B.C., before the time of Christ, when God spoke by the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 50, verse 6, this is what God says in reference to this dangerous pathway that he knew he was going to take. He said, I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Christ knew well what he was getting into. It tells us in Isaiah 52 verse 14, not just the details of this beating that in this execution that he would experience, but some of the extent of it as well. Isaiah 52 14, just as many as were astonished at you, so his, this is talking about Christ, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of man. In other words, the interpretation of this has been that he was so beaten when they beat him with the cat of nine tails that, again, 700 years before he would step down on that first Christmas to go before us to be God with us, Emmanuel, to go before us and to make the way smooth and plain before us, he knew that the beating would, inc- would involve him being so torn, his flesh being so torn, that he was almost unrecognizable, which we know even non-Christian historians who have studied much about the Roman crucifixion and the flogging which Jesus was the recipient of. They, most of them never survived the whipping post. Your flesh would be torn so much that you would be unrecognizable even to those who know you best. And Jesus knew this. He knew what it was going to involve. He knew that it was going to involve some things. He knew that it was going to involve being arrested, which we know that he was. Matthew 18, verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers and the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. 
We know that it involved this trail of Emmanuel going before us. It involved also him being spit upon and abused. Matthew 26, verse 67. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. We know that it involved also him being conspired against. Matthew 27, verse 1, the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. Jesus knew that going down this trail before us to be Emmanuel going before us was going to include him being beaten and set to be killed instead of a rightful criminal. Matthew 27, verse 26, Then he, who we know to be Pilate, released Barabbas to them. And when he had, they had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This pathway that Jesus has gone before us to make the way for us to be safe, to make death no longer dangerous to us, he knew it was going to involve being stripped naked and humiliated. Matthew 27, verse 27 through 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him in the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. This pathway that Jesus has gone before us, Emmanuel going before us to make death no longer dangerous for those that would follow him, also involved and ultimately involved being killed on a cross, and we know it happened. John 19, verses 17 through 18. And he, bearing the cross went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Brothers and sisters, this is what our Jesus, this is what Emmanuel has gone before us to take out of the way. Because we were the ones that deserved to be arrested. We were the ones that deserved to be spit on and abused, conspired against, beaten and killed, stripped naked. All of these things. These are the things, brothers and sisters, that Jesus has gone before us to do. To take it out of our path that death no longer has to be dangerous for you and I. And the message that Jesus calls back with once He has achieved all that He achieved, we know that the call back to all of the rest once He has paved the way, taken in upon Himself all of the wrath of God for the sins of those behind Him, He then calls back and says, Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely from the waters of life. And that's good news. So if you're thankful, if you're thankful that you know what Jesus has done, you, you have surveyed this, this, this mountain of death that you could not do anything about yourself. It doesn't matter that you walked around in a body like Jesus did. He was, the, he was Emmanuel, God with us. He was the only one that could do anything about it. And when you survey all of the wonderful things that He did, and you know that by His Spirit He has drawn you into it, and you said, I'm going to let go of my sin, that I can follow Him in this way. And then He saves you. If you know that's good news, say amen and clap your hands, because the Lord our God is awesome. <laughs> 
If you would stand with me and bow your heads as we come to the music at this time. You know, the number one reason, listen to me, young people, the number one reason that cowboys out west die is because they don't follow the path that was set before them. They start riding up the hill on their horse, and they don't understand why the lead cowboy would have taken it this way. This way, they think to themselves, looks much better. And it's a treacherous way. It's the most common reason that they die is because they think their way is better. If you haven't read between the lines of that, let me just share with you. The reason that people go to hell today is because they think their way is better. And it's not. The call of the Master, the sweet and tender call to you this morning, as Jesus has accomplished all that He has accomplished is to look back and say, Come. Let Him come and follow Me. Pick up your cross and follow This is the way that I have paved the way for you. And He's calling you today to follow Him on that path. The only path in which death can no longer have any harm over you. The one thing you can't take on that path is the notion that you know better than God. It's called repentance. It means you turn around. It means you've been going down one path that you realize is not the right way. You turn from that way to follow the path that He has made for you. The one in which there are still struggles in life. It's not like Christians all have easy lives. But the one in which death has lost all of its sting. That's the path that he is calling you to. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you say, Pastor Ben, I've heard this gospel preached this morning, and it is clear to me what Christ has done. This Emmanuel who was walking around in a body like me but was able to do something about death that I wasn't able to do, nor was I ever going to be able to do what Christ did to conquer sin and death. If you say, Pastor Ben, I want that. I want Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I'm repenting right now. And I'm turning to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that would be you, please raise your hand that myself and Eldon may see it. We would love to pray for you. Should there be anyone here that says, yes, I would like to follow Jesus. I'd like to turn from sin. I'd like to go down the path in which death has no hold over me anymore. We complicate salvation so commonly. But Romans 10.9 spells it out pretty clearly for us. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So do you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead? If you do believe that, say it with me that Jesus is Lord. Ready, set, go. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's the one who knew what it would take to pay for the price of our sin.
to stand victorious and call back to me saying, Come, whosoever will, let him come and drink freely from the waters of life to be recipients of this awesome free gift of grace. Father in heaven, draw by your Holy Spirit those who do not know you. Father, thank you for the sweetness, for the awesome sweetness of this path that you have made a way. We could not traverse it alone, Lord. We couldn't do anything about the sin that was against us, about the death that was the result of that sin. But because you are not just a man, because you are Emmanuel, you could do everything about it, and you did. So thank you, Jesus, that we can freely and joyfully follow you in this way, the only way to be saved, that death might not have anything against us anymore. We pray in Jesus' name, and all the church says, we want to be a church devoted to this gospel mission. I hope you've shared this preaching responsibility with me in the world in which we live. Let us sing and praise the Lord together.